We may think of medicine as a highly tech-centric profession, but physicians can be highly resistant to change. Sometimes they need a little push from the outside or a little push from physicians in training. We'll hear about the democratization of healthcare technology today on AMSA AdLib via Dr. Warren Weekman. Dr. Weekman is Associate Dean for Instructional Technologies at the University of California, Irvine School of Medicine. He has been the project leader for the school's IMED initiative and overhaul of the curriculum at the school, emphasizing new instructional technologies, including the iPad. Dr. Weekman spoke at the American Medical Student Association's 2015 convention about technologies that will change medical practice and personal health, even though many of those changes may come from outside the walls of the healthcare industry. Uh, we're going to talk about technology today. We're going to kind of go off of some of the themes that uh, were started off last night with an amazing keynote by the Surgeon General. We're going to just talk about this whole idea of engagement and empowerment and looking at how technology is actually going to do that for us in your education. And so we're going to start off playing um, kind of a little game. But first, let's, I want you to think about something. So. A lot of us are going to look at this statement and completely agree with it. My medical school is teaching me the skills to become a competent physician, right? No questions asked, easy to understand, right? But I want you to think about adding this little part to it and then thinking about how that makes you sort of feel about the education or the quality of education that you're getting right now. Are you going to graduate and be ready to sort of be a physician in 2015 and beyond? Or are you going to graduate and sort of be in a different era as far as technology and what you're comfortable with in interacting with your patients? So let's think about a couple of things that aren't really medically related. So let's talk about just the idea of needing to go to the bank taking care of your money, right? When I say banking, you're often going to think about probably one of these three things, right? You know, going on your phone, going online, doing something that involves technology, right? Very few of you are actually probably thinking about standing in line and going to the teller. Can anyone here think of the last time you actually had to go into the bank, fill out a little slip and go into the teller? Probably a long time ago, right? So let's think about another industry that's also kind of been disrupted by technology, travel, right? To get here, a lot of you probably went online booked your travel through Expedia or listened to William Shatner and went on Priceline. Um, but very few of you probably went to an actual travel agent. Um, has anyone here in their lifetime, apart from me and some older folks, uh, gone to an actual travel agent to book their travel? Right, a couple. Only a small handful, okay. And what about music, right? So thinking about music, right? You want to hear music, you want to find music, where do you go, right? You're going to go on to iTunes, you're going to go to Spotify, Pandora, right? Very few of you are going to go to an actual, like, store to find music. Um, does anyone remember Warehouse, like, from way back in the day? Anyone? Remember the old minivans? That was pretty awesome, right? Um, so, okay, just thinking about technology, right? So all these things have really been drastically changed by what you can do as a person um, with technology. So I want you to think about healthcare now for a second, right? So applying all these things with technology, what are we doing with healthcare, right? And healthcare, for the most part, has been really unchanged for quite a long period of time. But patients, much like you, when you're not in your doctor role, are going online to do things, right? And so about 35% of the U.S. population has actually gone on specifically to find out a problem or find an answer to a problem that they have. And that's a pretty decent number. Um, the kind of weird thing is only half the time are they telling their physicians about that. 
So I want you to think about why, why that is. Would you feel comfortable telling your doctor that you went online? How would you feel if your patient said, hey, I went online and I had back pain and I went on Google and here's the 50 things that I think I have, right? And so you can kind of see that maybe why we feel kind of odd about that. But the scary number is more of this. About 40% of the time, these people don't even come to you, right? Oh, that back pain, I'm not gonna worry about it, said the 70-year-old man with a history of prostate cancer who now has like a pathologic fracture in his L-spine. But he thought, oh, it's probably just a strain, right? So that's kind of a scary number, right? 40% of the time, they're not even coming to us. And why is that the case? Why are they not coming to us? Well, there's this kind of impression that there still is out there of medicine that this is medicine, right? You know, this is a Norman Rockwell painting, you know, of a physician in a small kind of at-home practice. This is kind of the way that we ourselves propagate the image of medicine, that this kind of outdated image, right? And a lot of kind of publications are catching on to this, that maybe technology is kind of changing our role. Maybe it's squeezing out the role of the doctor. Maybe it's, you know, why aren't we more tech savvy? Um, and they include this great photo of this cool bedside technology there um, that makes it really make sense of why we aren't more tech savvy. And then something as, you know, as drastic as this, are we becoming obsolete? You know, we've heard about things like Watson that can do all these diagnostics. So, if we have Watson, why do we need physicians, right? And it's kind of this weird time that we're in because we have all sorts of cool medical toys like Da Vinci robots and all these other kind of things, but at the same time, you know, there's a sort of dilemma here that we're sort of facing. The other problem are these two numbers. This is from a, a report from the 2012 uh, AMC on physician shortage that, you know, looking at the shortage of physicians that are out there, right? So they can't even come to see a doctor if they want to. And so oftentimes they're going online to find this information. But we sort of just a few slides ago kind of laughed about someone who went online um, and saw the dangers of going online without any sort of information behind it or any other sort of support. The other problem too, if you think about it, is that you know fixing the number of physicians is a big part of this, but also how well we practice or how efficiently we practice is also a big part of it. And a lot of us who have been patients have gone through that, right? Like I don't even want to go to my doctor at times because I know it's going to be like a three-hour ordeal. And so it's not just the number of physicians; it's how can we make ourselves maybe as good as Chipotle, which is kind of a weird thought. Um, but that's kind of what we're comparing at, and that's that's kind of a problem, right? Um, and so where do we start, right? We have to start with you guys, with the medical students. Um, but if we look at medical education, you know, there's also, we have, a, we have a kind of a ways to go, right? So 1600s, this is a Rembrandt painting. There's someone in the front of the class teaching, kind of like I'm standing right now and talking to you guys. And you fast forward a couple hundred years from the 1600s, and it's kind of the same sort of scenario where you have, you know, again, a small group of people gathered in person to learn. And that's a, you know, a little bit outdated and backwards, but so at least you think, well, now we're in you know, the 2000s, it's gonna be different, right? Medical school's gonna be, oh, oh wait, never mind. No, it's the same thing, <laughs> right? It's, it's someone in front lecturing, and you have to be there to learn for the most part. And that's not really how you guys all learn necessarily. And so when we start thinking about how do we change medical education, we have to think about, well, we're teaching you guys, maybe not the best way to even start. And so a lot of it comes down to, you know, kind of this idea, this is my first year of medical school, um, and many of your guys' first year of medical school, right? 33 pounds of textbooks, and depending on how much you print, that many pages of paper notes. You know, if you want to study anatomy, you make a conscious decision to take 80 of your books and go to the library, and then you decide, man, I'm tired of anatomy, but I don't want to go home and get more books, so I'm just going to call it a day. You know, like that's, 
that kind of sucks to have to study like that, right? So at least, you know, in 2010, what we did at UCI was we kind of at least changed that aspect of what we're doing. And so we moved to the iPad. Um, and the iPad's kind of been a useful tool, and it doesn't really have to be the iPad, it could be any sort of tablet, but pretty much condensing all that knowledge into a single device is a start. So that led us to kind of create this whole iMedEd initiative, which apart from you know, playing off of the Apple naming convention, really was supposed to go off of this idea of interactive medical education, an innovative medical education, independent, meaning that you can kind of learn by yourself, internet, web-based, you know, individualized, exactly the kind of learning that you need to make yourself more efficient. Um, and that led to this huge sort of change for us into this whole comprehensive reboot of our curriculum. Um, it led to us using apps, really leveraging simulation, using bedside ultrasound to do anatomy and teaching and having our students come out skilled in all these different modalities of kind of new learning and individualized learning. But that's really just the beginning, you know? And so if we look at all of those different things, you know, there's the kind of the core functions of what you guys are good at as students or what you have to be good at in your first couple of years. And then there's all these other functions that kind of come in eventually too and thinking about how the technology can affect all of those. But the core thing here that we have to think about is that technology itself is not just a cool toy. I mean, yeah, it is kind of a cool toy. But uh, it's not just that, right? It's really going to be a transformative tool, and it has to be a transformative tool to make it more useful for your education. And so when you think about technology transforming how you guys learn, you have to think about these kind of four main key areas. We all know that you know, when you use technology, it'll make this cool like learning environment. You can touch things. You can interact with it. You can do all those cool things. But the most important part of this is this idea of you guys owning the curriculum, you guys owning the technology and sort of this whole process of medical education. Now, yes, we kind of came up with the idea at a high level at our school, but the most important part of what made our initiative success, successful for the past five years have been what our students have done with it. It's been a while since I've been a med student, and so it's really important to think about you know, you guys are the ones using the curriculum. You guys are the ones doing the work. So why not take a huge part of this and take it under your wing and make it yours? And so when we talk about that, you know, these are the things that our students are doing and creating. They're taking faculty notes, um, revamping them, making them more interactive, more useful. Our faculty are now using notes that our students have made from their course as their notes because what you guys have done is so much better than what they've been able to create, which is cool. You know, our students are going online creating content. Um, and this was pretty much a whole summary of our clinical foundations course condensed down to about a 20 minute video that for the most part, 167,000 people liked, minus like 40 or 60 of them. <laughs> but just thinking about that, I, I tell my faculty, how many people have you caught, taught in your entire educational career? And many of them have not even come close to 167,000. And this is one of our first year medical students that did this to go online and reach that kind of content and reach that kind of audience. But it's all about this content creation. You guys as medical students, you might think, I'm just a first year, I'm just a second year. You guys are smart, man. You guys got here to this point knowing what you know how to know. And so now it's about leveraging what you know and how to use the technology to leverage that. And so if we look at things like this, Khan Academy, which many of you have heard of, they've done two big challenges over the past couple of years, one for nursing education and one for medical education. Um, at UCI, we're, we're proud to know that at least out of the 30 winners, three of them are UCI students. And what these three have done at our institution, they're teaching faculty, faculty, how to make flipped classroom modules. In addition to teaching other students how to do it, they're teaching faculty how to make more engaging content. 
And our faculty actually like this. Not all faculty do, but the ones that we really like as instructors really feel like this is a good thing that we need to do because it's student-driven and the students have a big voice in this whole process. Now, it's really important to think about this whole idea of the patient experience. Because yes, technology is kind of cool, um, and it can be cool, but one of the biggest critiques is, well, technology is going to take away from this whole patient-physician relationship, right? And it's very easy to have that done. Just think about, for those of you that are in the hospital, for those of you that have been to the doctor recently, you know, how many times are you talking to a patient, and then you have to turn around and type your notes, and then you look back and you turn around and type your notes, right? Nothing's even set up well so that you can actually engage with the patient with the EMR, the technology, right? And so a big thing we have to do is think about how to leverage technology for this purpose. And so that's where things like glass come in, right? Imagine taking like a sim class and really looking at everyone in that room recording from a first person point of view to see how to like really leverage interpersonal skills and interpersonal education and how to do like interprofessional rounds, seeing where the discrepancies are in what they're doing and what they're not doing. You know, think about doing procedures with things like glass or any sort of first-person video and imagine having, you know, someone who's a master at getting an airway and watching their video from their perspective to see exactly how they do it, right? This is the kind of view that you can't always see, but imagine being able to learn any procedure by seeing it from this point of view, right? Kind of cool. Or what about even kind of doing the converse, right? When you're learning yourself, how to do suturing procedures, right? So in our OSCEs, what we do right now is when you guys are learning how to suture, we have you put on glass and record it and wear it. Not just because we want to really give you a hard time about it, but now we can actually go and give you real feedback other than, oh, that suture was a little bit off. We can actually tell you from what you were doing, this is right or this is wrong, and getting that degree of kind of confidence in your skill set. And imagine this is just suturing. Imagine this the first time you scrub in for a case, the first time you do a big procedure, having that degree of supervision and oversight. Or how about even, you know, how about even this idea of, you know, what do you look like to a patient when you're talking to them, right? You know, we, we all know the certain personality types that are out there. We've all heard the, the horror stories of, you know, that surgeon or that physician or that other person that had no bedside manner. Imagine if you could see that for yourself like on day one. Imagine if you like accidentally rolled your eyes every time a patient talked and you had no idea. But how do you even know that? You know, maybe someone will tell you at some point and you're like, I don't roll my eyes, no way. But when you watch the video and you see yourself rolling your eyes, that's kind of crazy. So imagine being able to see yourself through a patient's eyes and really learn how you're engaging and interacting with them. And so we just threw a pair of glass on one of our standardized patients and went through and did all of our scenarios that way so people can really see what they look like. So again, it's about leveraging the technology well. So one of the other things we've done is a lot of you have great ideas. A lot of you have great ideas for apps and other things, but a lot of you aren't programmers. And that's okay. So what we did was we created this concept called the Med App Jam, and we paired you guys with computer science students. And so we said, listen, you guys come in with the ideas, they come in with the coding expertise, let's make some cool things happen. So we've done this now for three years, we've built over 45 apps. Each competition was about a week long. 
uh, 10 days long. And some of the apps have been pretty cool. Like this one down here uh, is an app that leverages the, um, the sensors in a phone to look at the amount of tremors. So what they're looking at is, can you measure a patient's response to medications if they have baseline tremors? And can you graph that out using their phone? We've had other students develop sleep apnea apps. We've had other students do things for PM&R and rehab, teaching exercises of how far to lift up your arm for rehab using the metrics um, and analytics on a phone. And so it's a really cool idea. And this is very easy to put together, and you guys don't have to learn how to code to how to do this. Another thing that we do is teaching patients, right? So we all want you to be good educators, right? How many times have you done, flipped over a napkin or a piece of paper and drawn a terrible diagram and said, that's your heart and that's your lungs? Now there's cool apps like this called DrawMD that are out there that allow you to take these templates and make really cool diagrams for patients and actually show them exactly what you need to show them without focusing on the art itself. This is a free app, by the way. So we actually include this in our OSCE now, and we actually assess our students on how well they can teach with technology at the bedside, and we re record these little sessions on the iPad, and this becomes part of their teaching portfolio. So imagine you make a little video like this for how to put a central line in, it's now recorded, you can kind of hand that on an iPad to a patient beforehand, before you prep them for the procedure, and ask them what they think or what questions they might have. In the next episode of AMSA AdLib, we'll hear more about the democratization of medicine through technology. AMSA AdLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. This episode was edited by Pete Thompson with help from Christine Camizio and Rachel Glassford. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer. Let us know your thoughts on the future of medicine and technology. Email us at adlib at amsa.org or even record your story for us using your iPhone's Voice Memos app or an app like Easy Voice Recorder on Android. Email the recording to adlib at amsa.org. That's A-D-L-I-B at A-M-S-A dot O-R-G. Thank you for listening. Okay, well, I'm not laughing in the recording, obviously, because... This is serious.